Good evening, TDN listeners. Welcome to this weekend interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. Good. Uh, this weekend interview is a production of TDNRadio.net. Welcome. This is Wednesday. The highlight of my week is to spend an hour or so with you on a Wednesday night. I look forward to it every week. Welcome back, my regular listeners. I, I always appreciate the fact that you, you choose to, to spend the time with me on this weekend interview. I appreciate the, the time and the effort and the consideration. I never take it for granted. If tonight is the first time that you listen into the show, welcome. I hope that you will enjoy the hour. And at the end of the hour, you will think that what we do here is worth your time and you too will become a regular listener. I uh, I always like to ask the listeners. I've been asking you in the last few weeks to invite somebody to to listen to with, with you. Invite five people every week. I want you to invite five people to listen to the show because I'm I'm trying to start a movement. Because the idea of this weekend interview is to bring you information that's contemporary, but bring it to you from a, a, a different angle, a different point of view. I always say I. I don't want that what you hear on this weekend interview, you can find it by clicking your mouse or, or, or pressing your remote. I like to think that we, we, we twist it and we, and we make connections that, that you don't hear anywhere else or from, a, or from a different perspective. And the more people we have listening to that, the, the, the ultimate objective is to, is to stir you to action. If it's political, then you think about your political decisions. You, you talk to somebody else about your political convictions. You re-examine your political beliefs. If it's health, I would like to motivate you to go see your healthcare provider. Get, a, get your tests done. Check yourself so that you remain healthy. And, that, and, and the more people we have doing that is, is, is the more um, impact it will have on, on the life of our society and our country. So welcome. Tonight I have a very, <laughs> I'm always excited when I have Angelo on. And Angelo Allen is going to be my guest tonight on this weekend interview. Angelo is a radio personality, icon I should say in Dominica. And he is that way because he has a way of taking a complex issue and breaking it down. And going straight to the heart of the matter. And he's so courageous in the way that he puts it. He's not afraid um, to voice his opinion. He's strong. He, you know, in, in, a, in a time when everybody is trying to hedge and be on the fence, Angelo, you know where Angelo is coming from every time. And so I love that energy that he brings. And I'm excited because Angelo is my guest tonight on this weekend interview. And there's so much to talk about. Uh, so this we're going to talk about items and uh, issues that's going on in Dominica, but we're also uh, going to talk about um, you, you know the plight of, of black people because this week we just recognized the United Nations recognized the um, International Day of Remembrance of the victims of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. I like to call it the African Holocaust. And so, uh, we, we'll talk on that briefly, you know, and see how that whole thing affects our whole mentality, where we are right now, what we should be doing. We'll talk on that briefly, and then we're going, we're going to launch into a contemporary discussion. So, I'm very excited. I'm going to take my usual break, have Mikel Henderson do the CARICOM anthem for us, 
And when I come back, I have Mr. Angelo Allen on the line from Dominica. Um, one of these days when he's on, I will take calls, but, but for now, it's not possible to take calls because um, I, um, he, I'm going to be talking to him on WhatsApp. And you know when, you, when you're on WhatsApp, if you take a call, it cuts off the WhatsApp. So hold your calls. I will be monitoring my text messages, WhatsApp, and regular texts. Uh, so if you have questions, get it to me that way, and um, and I will I will address them online. So let's do the CARICOM anthem. And when we come back, I will have Mr. Angelo Allen on 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 the, on the line from Dominica, and we're going to be dealing with a lot of hot topics. And I know you don't want to miss that. Stay tuned. distant lands our forefathers came some seeking adventure some bound in chains through battles waged and fought through victory and pain by test of their courage our freedom was gained In homage to those gone before us The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high Sing of your Caribbean pride Welcome back. Um, the 
Oh, let, let's take a word from the from my sponsor before before we go we go back we come back live. Um, one second, bear with me. One way. Vital Bio Restaurant, brand new on the French side of St. Martin and Marigold. Vital Bio specializes in all kinds of dishes. Oh yes, West Indian dishes, chicken and rice and all that's nice. And many other types of seafoods. Oh yes, a Woodstock bar awaits you. Especially if you need a martini. Vital Bio specializes in all your favorite drinks. In top quality for you. Oh yes, Vital Bio, brand new. Yes, I told you so. Lot 107, Resident Lamb. 54 Rue de la Liberté. Vital Bio, the number one restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. Don't you forget to go to Vital Bio, the number one brand new restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. All right, listeners, now I'm back. I'm really back. And I, and I have with, online with me um, Mr. Angelo Allen. Before I go to Angelo, though, I want to say hello, special good night to the listeners, those who are listening to us on RVR Jams uh, Radio in Dominica. Uh, we're always happy to have you and we're always happy to collaborate with you. We thank the management of RVR Jams for partnering with TDN Radio. But before I, before I take too much of the time, uh, you know, every, when I have Angelo on, I'm always excited. So, Angelo, I, I'm not going to, you don't need no big long introduction, although we pick up new members every time, um, listeners every time, they have to they have to learn you as you go along. Welcome back to this weekend interview, my brother. <laughs> well, a really special evening to you and uh, your listeners, and uh, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you also, you know. Yeah, I look forward to it. Before before I took the break, I was telling my <laughs> listeners how I always admired the way you were able to to take something complex and bite it, bite into it, and chew it down to a size where you know all of us can digest. And your courage in always speaking your mind that is admirable in this time where everybody you know not always uh, likes to show what they're thinking. We always admire straight shooters and people who, who express themselves candidly. And I think that's one of the things that um, have you so dear in the hearts of so many of our listeners. Well, thank you very much for saying all those kind of things about me. I guess after you've been in this business as long as I have been, that's uh, at least 20 years, uh, just talking like that, uh, after a while, it really doesn't bother you much. I mean, if you're on the talk circuit, you're going to expect people to say things about you. You're going to express yourself and, um, of course, utilize the power of the Constitution of Dominica, and, uh, you know, and um, speak freely, as I usually say, without having to look over your shoulder, um, recognizing that... Um, you're doing nothing wrong. You are speaking and you are confining your your suggestions with the, to the context of the constitution. So I, I enjoy doing that, and um, I speak uh, fearlessly because um, I would say generally I speak truthfully. Uh, I have been disseminating information now for just about two decades, as I said, and um, some very serious bits of information. And I believe that um, the listeners over the years have really tuned in to the truthfulness of my stories. 
Uh, and um, I think that's why people enjoy listening to me because um, they might not get a total grasp of what I'm saying at the time, but sometimes down the road, uh, they say, oh, that's what that's Angelo what Allen was talking <laughs> about. And you know, that takes a certain level of professionalism where I know when I listen to you, it is so obvious that um, you don't <laughs> just shoot from the hip. You make sure that you have, um, you're comfortable with the veracity, with the truthfulness, uh, as much as possible of what you are going to be talking about, and and that comes through to the listeners, and and they admire you for that. Angelo, um, before before yes. we jump into current, what well, is current affairs on on when on Monday, the twenty fifth of March, and United Nations every year, um puts aside a day called the Day of Remembrance of Slavery and the Transatlantic Slave Trade. Now, all of us have a direct connection to that because somewhere in our not-too-distant past, one of our ancestors was affected by the slavery and the transatlantic slave trade, which is why we are situated on this side of the Atlantic and not on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> An involuntary trip from the east to the west. Exactly. And so I, I wanted to, to deal with that for a few minutes to to, to you know, recognize our, our people who, who were sacrificed um, and those that willingly sacrificed as well to, to get us to a different station in life. And um, I, I would like to give you a few minutes, if you don't mind, to, to tell us your thoughts about, when, uh, you know, the whole concept of slavery and um, the transatlantic slave, slave trade, what you think about it. Um, before I do that, I would let you know that when I spoke about it and I posted something on Facebook as well, I kind of focus on the need, on, on, on the recognition that we have never been even apologized to for all the brutality that our people face, far less um, to get any kind of restitution or as I, as I term it, restorative justice. But, but my <laughs> brother, uh, if you want to deal with that aspect, you can. If not, you can just tell me what your general thoughts are around the whole question of, of uh, the enslavement of our ancestors and the brutalization um, and that terrible um, trip across the Atlantic. Yeah, sometimes I wonder whether there is any other race on earth which would have the capacity to face the brutality which we which we were able to handle really across the Atlantic coming from Africa involuntarily to the West. And um, sometimes, you know, Anthony, even in today's modern, what we say is considered modern times, the brutality that's inflicted upon us in different ways, you you are forced to reflect back on slavery. You're wondering, you know, is this modern day slavery? But because of the restriction of time, and I know that we have a, a very curious listening audience, outside of just giving my broad opinion on the um, Atlantic slave trade, if you allow me, Anthony, I'll probably just um, brief our, our listeners on the history, uh, you know, as it pertained to Dominica more specifically, geographically. I would love that. Yeah, that's all ahead. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, of course, you know, because, you know, during British rule of Dominica, at least 100,000 slaves were brought 
to the island, 40,000 of whom arrived between 1763 and 1778. And as of the 1760s, 10,551 slaves were imported. Many of the slaves brought to Dominica were subsequently traded with growers on Guadeloupe, Martinique, and St. Lucia. Now, with, with the French reoccupation of the island between 1778 and mid-May of 1783, only one slave ship in late 1781 arrived in Dominica. Now, after the British reoccupation between May 7, of 1783 and late 1789, the slave trade resumed and 38,328 new slaves were brought to Dominica in the 19, excuse me, in the 1790s, uh, you know, 11,776 more slaves arrived. The large number of slaves in Dominica in 1795 prompted a slave rebellion influenced by the Haitian Revolution called Coliho Uprising. The revolt was not successful, and in the first eight years of the 19th century, 7,734 more African slaves arrived in Dominica. Slaves, freed slaves, and African property owners were forbidden to participate in political and economic discussions or decision-making. And, of course, before we leave, let us just let our listeners know that because of the large quantity and the poor treatment, the number of maroons and runaway slaves increased through time. Now, these ex-slaves were armed and they led a rebellion against the British in 1785 and 1786 here in Dominica. The rebellion was not successful and the leaders were imprisoned or executed. The conflicts between the Maroons and the British reoccurred several times, persisting until 1815. And finally, in 1831, though slavery continued, but the Browns Act conferred political and social rights to free Afro-Dominicans, And in 1832, three colored men were elected to the House of Dominican Legislative Assembly. It was actually called formally the House Dominican Legislative Assembly. On August 1st, 1834, the abolition of slavery passed by the British Parliament a year earlier was put into effect in Dominica. So finally, in 1838, there was a colored majority in the chamber, and Dominica became the first British colony in the Caribbean with the legislature controlled by colored people. Moreover, most colored legislators were small landholders or merchants whose economic and social views were opposed to the interests of wealthy English landowners. So you can understand uh, the the conflict which existed then between local Dominicans, uh, property owners, and others who were trying to legislate in the interest of the former slaves, their own determination conflicted with that of the English 
slave owners and property owners. So Dominica seems, uh, Anthony, like we we have a tremendously rich history. And if we had to follow the years from 17, well, from the 1600s, up to the 1700s, up to the 1900s, and even now in this new millennium, the 21st century, I believe that the history has actually become more and more interesting and satisfying intellectually. And to those who are inclined to record these momentous occasions of history, for example, when the first parliament of Dominica, when the first three colored people were in the parliament of Dominica, it's important for that information to be passed on so that our young listeners can understand that um, Dominica is a powerful country. We have a very rich history, but most of all, you must acquaint yourself with the rich history that we have. That is tremendous. Now, listeners, you see what I talk about when I say I get excited when Angelo is going to be my guest. My brother, that was brilliant. And, you know, um, it it brings us to to bring it up into into current times. It's, It's absolutely... Uh, we, we've, against that background, against that historical background and the struggles that our, that our ancestors had. And then, and then we look at what's happening with the current government seem bent on, on selling the country back to foreigners, back to colonists. Um, it, 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 makes you, it makes you want to, it makes you angry. And, 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 and I believe is that's why it's important to really have that education and to, uh, you know, to, to let our young people know where they come from and where the country has been so that they can put it in perspective when we say that we should not be selling passports. We should not, we should have a little more control as to who can own the criteria for people to own property in a country, for who controls the means of production and, and who is benefiting from the economy. And the, the folks who, who sweat and bled to, to make that possible, at least their descendants should have at least an equal chance to benefit from it. So my brother, thank you so much for that, for that <laughs> expose. I am not even going to, to delve into mine because I have already spoken about reparations and the need for restorative justice. But um, not, not, not too much of a fast segue. One of the first topics I had for us to discuss, Angelo, um, yeah. was, was the, the question of Dominica being blacklisted by the European Union. Again, that tension between the Dominican and the Caribbean islands and the Europeans and, and how much control they have over the destiny of, and, and you know, what happens in, in Dominica. Um, so, my brother, what what did you what what are your thoughts and how do you react? What are the implications for Dominica being blacklisted by the EU for for money laundering and other nefarious activities? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I should say, Anthony, that um, Dominica as a country has found itself in a very strange predicament, and um, what is most concerning to many people, those who understand how things work, is, is that the citizenry of Dominica are really, really not involved in the decision-making pro- process. And so in Dominica, 
you find that the leadership of the state has been reduced to the portfolio of one guy who is the government. And this one guy finds it very easy to go around the world and um, do some very strange things in the name of Dominica. And um, for a long time, the people of Dominica did not know that some of those things were happening. I mean, really to look uh, to, to, to just um, rewind a bit to when we start thinking of a lovely little island like Dominica with lots of good people. We haven't seen the world yet in most cases, innocent people. And then we have found ourselves uh, on the blacklist of the European Union. We have found ourselves as a people standing up against global superpowers that um, really hurt us, uh, really has the potential to hurt us. Um, as we think about Dominica being blacklisted by the European Union, it's important for us to understand that um, shortly before the announcement by the European Union that Dominica was blacklisted, that Dominica found itself in a confrontation with the Secretary General uh, the, of, the, uh, of the Organization of American States, the OAS. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the OAS is a massive organization in the region, and um, Dominica is a member. However, it would appear that the leadership of Dominica, the people are not even aware of what's going on, but the Prime Minister of Dominica, who is, uh, for all practical purposes, the, the government of Dominica, he is out there basically developing and creating confrontations with mega organizations, as we said, that can hurt us. So, for, for, for example, let, let's look at March 27, when the general secretary of the OAS sent out a press release. Uh, and uh, we can just scan through it where it said the General Secretariat of the Organization of American States, the OAS, expresses its rejection of the uniform or excuse me, of the uninformed comments of government spokespeople of the Russian Federation who maliciously disqualify this organization, that's the OAS, in order to justify the recent and illegal Russian military incursion into Venezuelan territory. If we just stick a pin here, Anthony, mm -hmm. and just go through, uh, the, the, there's a few lines which I read, read just a moment ago, you will note that the General Secretariat of the organization, of the OAS, expressed its rejection to the uninformed comments, they said, of the government spokespeople of the Russian Federation. Remember, we just spoke about this guy. There's a, there's a guy called Nurl, N-U-R-L, Katz. His last name is K-A-T-Z. He was in Dominica just, well, for a few years ago, working very closely with Mr. Roosevelt Skerritt, Prime Minister of Dominica. I had him on a program uh, some a few years ago, and um, it was very interesting. But this guy, Neural Katz, for example, who is the president of Apex Capital, 
worked closely in Dominica with Mr. Skerritt. As a matter of fact, he indicated on, on one of my programs some time ago that he had an arrangement with the prime minister to build homes in the um, uh, Belvichope area and other places, he said. This guy, as a business guy, selling passports, a close relationship with the prime minister, getting um, contracts, to build homes in Dominica. And next thing you know, this guy recently was sent to Russia as Dominica's representative or ambassador to Russia, to the Federation of Russia. So in other words, this guy who is our ambassador in Russia, when when Russia speaks, He has to conform to what Russia says. So in other words, when Russia speaks in an uninformed manner based on the information from the OAS and Dominica has a representative in Russia and they are the ones basically insulting, according to the OAS, maliciously disqualifying the authority of the OAS, then Dominica is put in bad light because it means that Dominica's representative, that ambassador in Russia, is basically technically part of this rejection of the OAS. We must understand also that the the um, recent elections in Venezuela of Mr. Maduro was condemned by the OAS, and that there was a resolution which was taught, well pretty comprehensive by just about every state within the OAS, with very few exceptions, and the Dominica stood out as one of the very few small islands which was willing to stand against the organization of American states in the interest, not of Dominica, but of Maduro and his political ambition in Venezuela. So you can understand, my brother, the discord there is at a very high level between the leadership of Dominica and his confrontational policy, (laughs) principle, and attitude towards what is really happening in the Americas, my brother, and I will conclude stick, this. Stick, yes, stick a pin in there for me. Let, let, let me let me paint this scenario a little more starkly for Dominicans. So, yeah, on the diplomatic circle, you just painted a picture where Dominica. I mean, some people don't like to say small, but geographically and and resource wise, we, we're small compared to organizations like the OAS and the and the United we're Nations. We're minimal, yeah, EU. of course, and. If we have, when when we stir up those conflicts, we now have to send our diplomats to sit across the table with <laughs> with diplomats from the <laughs> EU. And you know, we have a, Dominica has a very high powered diplomatic team, diplomatic corps. I would imagine that can go toe to toe and represent Dominica's interests. Do you think so? But of course, <laughs> of course, the, we have some of the most highly competent people in the world, intellectually, academically, and otherwise. Well, I was talking about our current, so, I was talking, referring to our current core of diplomats, or the, the ambassador to the United Nations, the ambassador to the U.S., oh, oh. The, the OAS, our current core 
or diplomatic well, well, corps if they yes, we have to go to the tourist people but well, well I, I would say that currently the core of diplomats which dominica is presenting it would appear that they have basically straight they are straying from the norm and they are basically doing their things in a cocoon and um not expecting the rest of the world to see what we are doing um of course we know that in the united states we supposedly have uh, an ambassador for dominica but we very seldomly hear anything from this ambassador and um the bid goes on i will tell you something about those ambassadors though anthony we had a gentleman by the name of mr eric something who ran a consulate for the prime minister in france right this guy mm-hmm. running this consulate in france for the prime minister i say because nobody in dominica really knows about this thing this he he the the boss of this consulate in france subsequently ended up in M- monaco because mr scary decided as prime minister of dominica that he was going to set up a consulate in monaco mm-hmm. now most people in dominica would ask why do we have a consulate in monaco, monaco right what i what i found strange though is that this gentleman this eric something guy he was taken from france brought to monaco to operate this consulate as well so so mr scarrett has this guy operating two consulates for him one in france and one in monaco and you're wondering what the heck is going on you mean that if dominica as a state is going to set up a consulate in monaco you cannot find people in at least in that region to hire outside of going to find this guy that you already have positioned heading an embassy for you a, a consulate in France but i saw something very interesting on this man's um, business card he also indicated among his other credentials that he was a financial consultant to the prime minister he did not say the well in the capacity of prime minister to mr roosevelt scarrett that's what his business card says wow financial consultant to the, to Mr. Scarrett and this guy basically runs two consulate for Mr. Scarrett. So Mr. Scarrett has enough wealth that he has his own financial consultant. Well, I it, it it's truly amazing because I I wondered for a while whether they they meant that he was a financial consultant uh or advisor for the state of Dominica but I said we've never heard anything about this guy locally and um they did not say to the prime minister of Dominica they said he was financial consultant to Mr. Roosevelt Scarrett so so let's so, cycle back to the original um if you don't mind Andrew, yeah. the original the original impact yes. <laughs> of being blacklisted no no I like the way that you that you laid out the whole background of of the relationships that we develop and the conflicts that we find ourselves in and all of that um but but you know the 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 status of being blacklisted has special yes. particular implications so so let's deal with with that let's let's educate the listeners a little bit on that yes anthony the the thing is 
we we have heard recently that Dominique was blacklisted and it ran a cycle on the talk shows for probably a day or two. And it seems like everyone has gone back to grating their coconuts and eating ripe bananas and people are not thinking about really the consequences of the announcement, which we heard some time earlier. Uh, so it's like everything just went to sleep. But I think now is the time when Dominicans at home and abroad should really sharpen their listening ears to really find out what is to come next. Uh, I, I did some research and um, found out uh, what happens to countries on the blacklist. Well, they said that from the European Union, they said that blacklisted countries face sanctions from the EU, that's the European Union, and individual member states, as well as a dent in their international reputation. Anthony, you're understanding what they're saying there, that when you're blacklisted, you face sanctions from the EU as an organization, the European Union, but you also face um, sanctions, they said, from individual member states. No, no, we we hear from time to time the government touting their their desire to increase trade with Martinique and Guadeloupe and thereby providing an inroad um to the EU. Yes. So 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 the two don't match or or at least that's going to make that more challenging at least, at the very least. Well it would make it more challenging uh, although we know that recently um, Guadeloupe uh, became part of the OECS, and um, it's an honorable thing. Martinique and Guadeloupe are just there so they could have some type of associated relationship. Um, but, but the thing is, we must also remember that if Dominica is blacklisted from the European countries and Guadeloupe and Martinique are part of the European countries, then I think our expectations then should change. Because um, it is well understood that uh, Dominica is blacklisted because uh, of several reasons. And uh, among them is the manner in which our passports uh, sold, uh, you know, carelessly around the world to some very bad people. And um, the, the European Union is saying that the EU has kept very quiet about tax havens operating inside and outside of the EU for some time. But they said that in December of 2017, the EU released the EU blacklist of tax haven. And tax havens that committed to reforms were put on a gray list as Dominica was, which has since grown as the blacklist has shrunk. So many they moved some from the blacklist to the gray list like Dominica because Dominica promised that it would have taken certain actions. And they're saying that, um, well, Oxfam, an organization which basically track things like that, Oxfam and other civil society organizations called for greater transparency also in the blacklisting process from both the EU governments and from tax havens themselves, countries uh, which actually uh, uphold people coming there um, using their country as a, as a tax haven. So they basically have taken this thing as they're saying that 
they put you on a grey list, and on that grey list, you are, according to the EU, supposed to be closely monitored by the EU and pressured to implement the reforms they have committed to or risk being blacklisted. And that's exactly the process Dominica went to, went through, uh, that we did certain things uh, that, which were wrong. Our country consulted with the EU and, and promised that we would do certain things uh, within a certain period of time. We were put on a gray list. And on that gray list, you are supposed to really do your best to get back off that type of listing. But what Dominica probably was not aware of is that while you are on the gray list, you are actually scrutinized very closely. You're monitored by the EU, and they're saying that they actually pressure you to implement the reforms which you have committed to or risk being blacklisted. And, of course, Oxfam causing these people to, to ensure that everything is fair and above board. Dominica found itself in a predicament where it was on the gray list. And in December of 2017, the EU released that list Dominica was there on the gray list, but Dominica has basically not redeemed itself. And so it was subsequently put on the blacklist. They said here that in March of 2018, earlier this month, that um, the EU started publishing the commitments to reforms that tax havens such as Dominica had made, which got them off the blacklist, all right, to, to get them off the blacklist. And um, they really need to do those things. And until those things are done, it just means that Dominica will suffer. Uh, but, 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 you know, it's, it's more than that, you know, Anthony, mm -hmm. because w w when we did some further research, we, I, I wondered whether any kind of money, financial contribution, which was being given to Dominica would stop. And it is fascinating, I, our listeners will find this rather interesting, that EU relations and cooperation with Dominica are carried out both on bilateral and regional basis, the latter within the framework of the ongoing EU CELAC, the CELAC, and EU CARI Forum Dialogues. Dominica has had a formal relationship with the European Union, then the European Economic Community, since 1979 as a former British colony, which became independent in 1978. It was the entry into the EEC by Britain in 1973, which offered Dominica and other Commonwealth countries in Africa, Caribbean and the Pacific, that's called the ACP countries, the possibility of negotiating their future relations with the EU. In other words, Britain established this relationship on our behalf in 1973, and when we became independent in 1978, we, we were not evicted from this organization at all. Instead, they're saying it gave us a possibility to negotiate our future relations directly with the EU. Now, the overall aim of the European 
Union Corporation is to improve the quality of life of the populations in the beneficiary countries like Dominica through targeted and substantive programs. So in 2014, for example, the European Union delegation to Barbados and the Eastern Caribbean, which covers Dominica, dispersed just over 80 million euros in development cooperation aid amongst the 10 countries that it is accredited to the region. Historically, the European Union and the ACP, the African, Caribbean and Pacific Rim countries cooperation has been underpinned by uh, formal, uh, well, fa- former agreements like the GATT, Lome and others. I just want to scan yeah, to it quickly. I, I remember, I remember the- all of those, all of those agreements. And and so the, the point that you're making is that this is a this is a long established relationships that yes. that Dominican OECS have benefited from. That's all being put in jeopardy right now with with, exactly. with the blacklisting of of the island. And and Angelo also, I would I would think that if they have concerns about about money laundering and and that kind of thing, it would also mm-hmm. put in in jeopardy our banking relationships with those countries. And and we know well, that our economy yeah. is heavily supported by remittances um, through Western well, Union, well, MoneyGram, yeah. and that sort of thing. So all, all of that, I That's think, true. is at risk, right? All that is at risk, but more so direct money from the European Union. Because today, according to the literature, today the European Union is Dominica's largest grant aid partner for development the present eu 11th edf um intervention in dominica focuses on renewable energy and energy efficiency and has a financial envelope of 2.6 million euros an amount of 180,000 euros has been set aside to support civil society organizations, specifically the non-state actors. You know, now this allocation may also be, be used to finance actions linked to cross-cutting issues. Past projects and programs supported by the European Union in Dominica include upgrading of the facilities at the domin- uh, at the country's main airport, whereby night landing equipment and navigational aid were provided. Establishment of a social investment fund, the implementation of an ecotourism project, which includes the Waitikubuli National Trail Program, private sector growth and development program, which emphasize the strengthening of customs as well as the investment environment in the country, the development of a solid waste landfill and upgrade of water supply infrastructure in the Carib territory, as well as water and sewage sanitation. And finally, my brother, as a response to the present global financial crisis, Dominica has benefited from 5 million euros in grants for the vulnerability mechanism, which has the which was the European Union's swift response to help countries which were the most affected due to the poor resilience to external shocks. And so, my, my brother, there's a lot more. But Anthony, you can understand the amount that, that Dominica 
is likely to lose as a country or what is really in jeopardy right now with Dominica on the blacklist. And what is most disturbing about it, Anthony, is that you are hearing no conversation by the government of Dominica in terms of what its immediate plans are to really get Dominica at least elevated to the gray list, but to get us completely off the blacklist because there's just so much that is in jeopardy here. I mean, the European Union is placing increasing emphasis on climate change, alternative energy, and food security as well, as well as mainstreaming issues such as environmental protection, gender, and governance in its development cooperation. The EU is committed to the promotion of human rights, the rule of law, and the democracy worldwide, including Dominica. Anthony, these are some of the benefits that Dominica currently enjoys from the, from the European Union relationship with us. So it is just fascinating that uh, we are now on the blacklist and we are not hearing much. Most people indicating that it is because of the incompetence uh, of the government that um, Dominica is basically um, not even speaking about this thing officially because uh, since the, the official notice came out in early March, no official of the state has really spoken out to the public. You hear little political operatives speaking for the prime minister in very derogatory terms towards the European Union, calling the people there um, all types of derogatory names I don't wish to repeat. But we have not heard anyone from the Ministry of Finance or the prime minister of Dominica calling a press conference and really intelligently truthfully speaking to the nation about the ineptness of those in government and the, and, and the consequences that Dominicans must face now as a result. Well, well, Angela, you know, that is why earlier I mentioned about our diplomatic corps and, and the team of people, and, and, and you delve into some of the people that, that we have around the world say that, who say that they're representing Dominica. It seems as though the, the team of people that we have around the world are representing the interests of Roosevelt Skerritt. And, and now that it's election time, by extension, the interests of the Dominican Labour Party in getting re-elected. Uh, we know recently when the, the General Secretary of the, of the Organization of American State released a little a, 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 a tweet about meeting with <laughs> Mr. Crispin Gregoire. The, the government had an official response calling for an apology. But here we have right. something that is of material interest and has such potential for dire consequences for life in, the, in Dominica. And, and, and we don't see any response. We don't hear of any response. And, and it is in keeping with the characteristic of the government that somehow the government of Dominica does not think that it is accountable to the people of Dominica. And, and, and so many times we hear things happen and, and you would think, you would you would see the other countries in the region, you would hear a statement from their prime minister, you would see a release in the press or something. You don't see anything from, from the government. It's, it's as though the government of Dominica does not recognize that it has a duty to be accountable to the people of Dominica. And, 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 and so, you, you know, 
what I want us want you to talk touch on a little bit, Angelo, is the fact that we seem to be ostracizing our long-standing friends. I mean, never mind we have a colonial history of the Europeans. At least in the present day, they are making some attempt to assist us in some ways, some tangible ways. And we seem to be pushing them aside and seem to be embracing a different type of friend. The Russians, the Chinese, um, the Venezuelans, um, and, and those kind of things, the Moroccans. Um, we seem to be embracing that that type of, of, of friends more than the people who, because you, you were reading the list of things that the European Union was trying, was interested in and helping us with. And you ended that list with democracy and good governance yeah. or something like that. Well, yes, well that that, right. that seemed to be holy water to the current administration. <laughs> you know, <laughs> democracy, <laughs> transparency, and uh, and good governance seem to be holy water because they stay far from it. And 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 so, you know, the people that we associate with um, tell us, we reflect back who we are and who our priorities are. And, and, show me and, your friends. I'll tell you. Who, show me your friend. I'll tell, tell you who you are. are. So, 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 what's going on with our relationship with China? We still don't know. Um, I was listening today, Angelo. Um, the prime minister made an address, um, delivering some homes to people in in that that were displaced in Pidicavan, and beating his chest um, about it. And 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 basically, um, the concept that you give. And he's not giving anything because the, the government has a has a right to provide housing, and the, the money for the housing doesn't belong to the Labour Party or to Roosevelt Skerritt. But but if you are doing something for somebody, you're not supposed to point out to the person, "I'm doing this for you, and I expect that in return." You know that is so ungracious and, and uncalled for. But that is exactly what the Prime Minister did. But but even beyond that, even even beyond that. We don't hear a lot of questions being answered as to how much his homes cost and, and how are Dominicans getting employed. Um, you know, uh, it, it, who, Angelo, do you know anything more than the average person? Because I know you have, you, have, you know, exceptional research <laughs> skills, my brother. Did you, were you, are you able to, to, to get any light shone in that big black hole of government affairs in Dominica? Well... It's it's difficult. First of all, um, you mentioned earlier about an opportunity to ask questions or to answer questions. The Prime Minister of Dominica and um, those who package and present him, they have taken, they have developed a strategy over the years that they will keep him away from answering questions from media people on behalf of Dominicans, and they have also kept him away from having any debate, for example, you've never heard of a debate with the opposition leader and the prime minister, although the prime minister has been in government from since 2000 and has been prime minister from since 2014. So, um, from, excuse me, from two, since 2004. Yeah. So it is just, um, it, it seems like cutting off communication with the Dominican people is done deliberately as a strategy. Uh, but it is not surprising because, as we said, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. It's a similar situation 
in Iran. It's a similar situation in Russia. With Putin, it's a similar situation in Venezuela with Maduro. And um, these are the people that the government of Dominica, one guy, the government, these are the people that the government um, of Dominica actually frequents. Um, We spoke earlier, or you, you asked about our passports and why would we be on the black list and everything else? Well, let, let me just give you an example of the, the manner in which Dominica sells his passport and at least one person who is holding a Dominican passport, a citizen of Dominica. And I say so uh, in, from the context of Dominica, supposedly under Mr. Skerritt, being very close to communist China, and he's a baby of Mr. Xi and everything else, just as he was under Chavismo, now he's under Maduro, and he's under Mr. Xi in China. So uh, he's very easily influenced, and it's just fascinating the risks that this gentleman takes with himself. And um, uh, in the meantime, the, 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 the amazing danger he poses to the country. And, and I say... So when I think of this particular guy, you know, the Dalai Lama, right? The Dalai Lama is now passport holder of Dominica. Now, this is extremely uncomfortable for the Chinese government because China, of course, we know uh, some time ago invaded Tibet. First, they lent Tibet a tremendous amount of money 99 years later. Uh, Tibet was supposed to pay up. They did not have the money. China had just dumped money on them. They did not have the money 99 years later. Well, whoever was there at the time in terms of the generation, the Chinese basically moved in. They could not pay. Tibet could not pay China. China basically moved into Tibet and um, did some awful, awful awful things in Tibet. I mean, I can just mention one quickly that um, when the Chinese were taking over Tibet, just to show how vicious these people are, that they basically used their air force to drop stones on the people of Tibet. But not only that, when they got on the ground and invaded, they forced the nuns and priests to have sex in the streets. You know, um, that's how vicious the Chinese were. Since then, the Dalai Lama has been on the run and can't go back to his country. And any country which accommodates the Dalai Lama just for a simple visit, the Chinese government takes great offense to that. So it is in that context, I, I'm wondering, the, the government of Dominica, Mr. Skerritt, says he is so close to China, yet he has facilitated the selling of a passport to the Dalai Lama. And and, um, I don't know, Anthony, whether you heard a report um, uh, a few months ago when I reported and said that Dominica's economic citizenship program has registered one of the world's most controversial spiritual leaders as one of its latest passport purchasing citizen. And the guy's name is Ogyen T. Doge, D-O-R-J-E, second to the Dalai Lama of Tibet. He visited Dominica uh, two Octobers ago, where he actually sealed the deal at Jungle Bay Hotel. And, and of course, the the, um, developer there, Mr. Sam Raphael, confirmed that this second-in-command of the Dalai Lama 
actually came to Sufria, stayed by him for a few days, and is in fact a Dominican citizen. Now, this guy, Mr. Dorje, um, was recognized as the 17th reincarnation spiritual leader after he was identified by a Buddhist search party in a nomadic village in Tibet at the age of seven. He was isolated in a monastery until he was 14 years of age, where he actually fled to India. And approximately one year ago, the National Security Council of India authorized the Buddhist chief to take a short trip abroad. With this authorization in 2017, basically, he came to Dominique. He came to Dominica, and it was during that trip that he decided to purchase Dominica's citizenship. It is believed, though, that this new economic citizen could create a significant barrier in Dominica's foreign relations with communist China and also <laughs> India. Wow. And, you know, and also India. So now this guy, the Dalai Lama, second in command, is uh, on the run. So he has escaped from India. They allowed him to go on a small vacation. He ended up in Dominica. He ended up buying citizenship. He has a passport and he was in Dominica. You know, the Chinese embassy here, they know for sure that the, this Dalai Lama guy was here. The relationship with Dominica will never be the same. Whether Mr. Skerritt accepts it or not, it will never be the same. As a matter, as a matter of fact, just to end up quickly here, in 2017, Botswana attempted to host the Dalai Lama. China's, and China's foreign ministry spokeswoman, a woman named Liu Kang, she sternly warned Botswana that issues relating to Tibet concerned China's sovereignty and integrity, and she further demanded that relevant countries respect China's core interests and make correct political decisions, she said. She also emphasizes that China will penalize countries who allow the Dalai Lama to either visit or reside. You see where I'm coming from, my brother? I see where you're coming from. But my, my conclusion from that is that these guys have no plan. They have no idea what they're doing. If you show up with dollars, they will talk to you <laughs> and facilitate you. That's what it sounds like. But that's, that's, that's what it is. But that's what happens in an environment where the leader of the country or the, the government is one guy where he basically goes about satisfying himself and um, his interests, personally nothing to do with um, the national development. And um, that's what happens when you have a dictator in, in, in authority. I mean, look, look what happened to us in, Domin in Dominica some time ago, Anthony, that um, the CCJ was basically just forced down the throats of Dominicans. One morning we woke up, maybe a Monday morning, we woke up and heard in the news that Dominica has decided that the CCJ, the Caribbean Court of Justice, will be the final appellate jurisdiction, meaning that this is the final place you can appeal a case. You cannot go to Privy Council anymore because the government of Dominica has taken a decision Exclusively, this guy, Mr. Skerritt, on his own, basically decided whoever he was, he spoke to out there, that he was going to make a decision that Dominica would not, would just 
terminate its its um, business, so to speak, with the Privy Council and decided that you appeal your case to the CCJ in the Caribbean and this is it, where all the lawyers know each other, all the judges know each other, all the prime ministers know the judges because the prime ministers must unanimously approve of a judge being on the bench in the region for the judge to be there. So um, it's a strange situation. But, but I, I was making the point, though, Anthony, that here it is that islands around us, like the twin islands of Antigua and Barbuda, also sister island Grenada. They had a referendum um, on, the, on, on the 6th of November last year, Tuesday, November 6, 2018, to determine whether the Caribbean Court of Justice should be used as the final court of appeal. And don't you know, the people of Antigua had a referendum and they voted no. They They don't want to leave the CCJ. They don't want to leave the Privy Council and go to the CCJ as the last uh, place of appeal. So did the people of Grenada. They voted against that. And And I, Uh, Well, yes. The the thing about it is that different islands have different requirements in their constitutions. And all the countries where a referendum is required have not succeeded in convincing their people that the CCJ should be at the final court of, of, of appeal. That is instructive. Yeah, but, but we also, in Dominica, we could have had a referendum. We, 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 we needed a referendum to allow the people, the, the, the laws and the constitutions of the region the islands in the OECS and even some some cases CARICOM, they are not very different at all. And it is it's a matter of the constitu the, the jurisdiction of the courts. All right. So they are, or the OECS they, they have the same the same court system. And I think and um, there are many other people who, who who have said that if the OECS court system wanted to shift and make a decision, the entire court should do it. So, I mean, the OECS, the entire OECS should decide whether or not the islands of the OECS are willing to use the CCJ as the final court of appeal or whether or not the islands of the OECS would like to remain with the Privy Council. And I agree agree with you in that sense because... Um, notwithstanding what the individual constitutions say, it means that there's unequal administration of justice because from Dominica you can appeal to the court to the Eastern Caribbean Court of Appeal. Saint Lucia, and, yeah. and, and then if you if you don't if you want further redress, Dominicans stop at the CCJ, Antigua right. goes to the Privy Council. Antigua goes to the Privy Council. Yeah, so so that makes it unequal. That makes it unequal. Yes, you know. And, and, and the thing is, Anthony, uh, that's because these countries around us, it's important for us to, 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 to reiterate this so our, our listeners can, can understand that this is happening to us in Dominica because of the dictatorial posture of the, of the leader of the country. That it is not that the people of Dominica decided that we wanted a better quality justice with the CCJ. The people, of the, re- the people of the islands around us had the uh, prerogative to do that. We did not have the prerogative of deciding. Mr. Skerritt, 
speaking to whoever he spoke to, decided that it was better for him if these cases, because he himself has, and his party, there are some cases in the court system. So they decided, you know, it's better if they just finalize everything in the region where all the lawyers know each other. You know, Queen's Council in an, from Dominica can li- go to St. Lucia and try a case, go to Antigua, go to St. Kitts and try a case and vice versa. So, you know, they're probably laughing, laughing at us. I think it is a matter where the secretariat of CARICOM, uh, not CARICOM, but the OECS, the secretariat of the OECS should be where this determination comes from. And they definitely should not allow uh a a prime minister singularly to make such a decision because we must understand, uh, you know, when we think broadly, suppose there's a despot in the region who happens to be the leader of one of the countries in the OECS. What is, what is going to happen? He is going to make a decision singularly like uh, what happened in Dominica. This is not good for the quality of justice for the region. It's not good for the quality of justice that was forced upon us in Dominica because most people in Dominica and the Dominicans at home and abroad, we are definitely more comfortable with, the, with knowing that our cases are finally disposed of at the Privy Council. And there's the confidence, the inner confidence that when your case goes to the Privy Council, you don't know these people. These people don't know you. They are going strictly by the evidence presented for the case in the file. Whereas in the Caribbean, some guy here knows who your grandmother is. They know what political party you support. And they know what prime minister is not your favorite person. And that can be easily conveyed to a judge or a magistrate. And this can definitely, you know, be a determinant in the type of justice that's administered to you. So, again, but I guess these are just some of the things that we have to advocate for over an extended period of time. No, 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 Angelo, I want us to, we, we touch a little bit on the, on the speech that the Prime Minister gave when he hand, when they handed over some thirty something homes to people from Pitt Seven um over yeah, the in, be- I, I, yeah. I, I, in Belvis Chopin. In Belvis Chopin. I want us yeah. I, I want that to be the last thing that we that we cover. Um I, I we want I also wanted to talk about the ID cards, but that's a whole topic on itself. You're going to have to come back and <laughs> to deal with that. I, I like the fact that we have something pending so I can invite you back soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but if, but this is in the news right now. The the prime minister of Dominica handing over those homes and telling the people, "Remember who's giving you the homes." And mm. I am not ashamed to ask you to vote for me in return. I mean, there's so many things wrong with that statement, but if you can unpack it for us a little bit, and um. Let's talk about all the implications of that and the whole question of the, the way the homes are built and who builds them and all of those things. Let's spend a few minutes talking about that. Well, first of all, when you listen to the comment or statement of the prime minister, he sounds like a broken man. He sounds like someone who recognizes that after a long stay in office 
that his term of service is basically coming to an end. But he is not happy about it because over the years, he has treated Dominica as his private business. And his strategy in dealing with Dominicans, particularly those on the lower socioeconomic level, he, he just says things to them. He keeps them in poverty. His policies keep people in poverty. And to me, he enjoys that. And so when he speaks, uh, uh, re- when he spoke recently and said, well, you know, remember, I gave you these homes, so therefore I'm not embarrassed to ask you for your vote. He might not be embarrassed to ask for the vote. I mean, a, a drowning man will <laughs> grab at a straw. <laughs> However, the prime minister must understand this is a land of laws. The prime minister must understand that this is not a dictatorship and that if he wants to follow Maduro as closely in his um, uh, habits or interactions with the people of Venezuela, if Mr. Skerritt wants to emulate that, then he needs to change the constitution because that's what they did in Venezuela. They changed the constitution to match Chavismo and Maduro. So as of now... This has not yet been done. Anthony, that's why I would like to persuade every single Dominican who is either registered to vote or eligible to be registered to vote to do it now because there is a breeze blowing in the air which feels like this level of cruelty that the prime minister had has been administering in his policies to the people of, uh, of of Dominica that enough is enough and the people of Dominica have a window of opportunity now to stamp him out register to vote go to the polls and do not vote for his political party that's how we can save our country we have moved from a a, a, a a country where people were very independent two decades ago where people were highly motivated and citizens were very ambitious and this prime minister and his political party that have basically run the people down to the ground that they have broken the spirits of, of our citizens, and it is only in very recent times, as more and more people, um, you know, at home and abroad, have recognized the, the what's going on, the crunch in which we are, and they have started coming on board and saying, "Listen, our people have suffered enough." So now a few people have started speaking and you can see that there is a knee-jerk reaction by the Prime Minister of Dominica in his politicking. So now he is really staying away from any policy which will help the nation, any policy that will make life better for the people of Dominica. He stays away from it. But the policies which this Prime Minister the government, one guy, the policies which this government uh, is actually implementing 
really uh, policies which we have never seen before in the region. I know long ago you, you would read of some African states where this type of uh, political behavior and unusualness would occur. You, this doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the Caribbean. I mean, don't, just remember, Anthony, that in a press conference, Mr. Roosevelt's carrot was on the podium and the journalist asked him, sir, where does your party, your political party, get its money from? Because, you know, the, the, the campaign funds are always excessive. 30-something mm. million, 40-something million. So the journalist asked the prime minister, in a public setting. So where does your, your political party get its money from? And the prime minister speaking to the nation through TV cameras and microphones of the radio stations responded by saying, where my party gets its money from is none of your damn business. Go to hell, go to hell, go to hell. Wow. My brother... This <laughs> That's shocked the nation. Wow. It, sh it shocked the nation. We had never heard anything like this. I mean, media people since then are quite timid to ask any relevant question of the prime minister, remembering how he was emphatic and emphatically, dis emphatically disgraceful in his response in that public forum by saying that wherever his party gets its money from, basically speaking to Dominicans, it's none of your damn business, and repeated the go to hell three times. And you're right, he, wasn't, he wasn't talking to the journalists, he was talking to Dominicans. Dom he was speaking to Dominicans through the, through the microphones and through the cameras. So, so I'm saying, my brother, this is the type of leadership which has ruled and govern over Dominica over the past two decades. And um, the level of suffering on the people, the level of authoritativeness by this prime minister who walks around as though Dominica is the name of his private business. Dominica is his business. So when he walks around, he does not expect any media person to question him. He does not expect any opposition parliamentary opposition person to interface with him. As a matter of fact, you, you heard him or Dominicans heard him on the public record speaking uh, just a few months ago saying, in Dominica, we need no opposition. The man, and he said, repeated yeah. himself, mm -hmm. he repeated himself several times that in Dominica, we need no parliamentary opposition. Now, when a guy is thinking like that, and he's on the on the public record for saying that he wants to be in office until 2050. And his, his son was probably just about four to six years of age. And he said on the public record again that he wants to be in office until his son can replace him. I don't know why the people of Dominica took so long to understand where this man was coming from. I have cautioned them over the years rep repetitiously. And of course, um, some people listened. Others are now beginning to listen. But let me just tell you quickly again why. And all this ties into why Dominica is blacklisted. Because 
this leader is acting in an undemocratic fashion and the OAS is about democracy. The European Union is about democracy. And the European Union and the OAS are basically one in all and all in one. So when you find yourself in a confrontational mode with the OAS and you vote against a resolution to stop millions of people from fleeing from Venezuela and you stand against the Americas, my brother, you're being watched all around. And when you start telling people in your country, first of all, you ensure that elections will not be free and fair because in 2008, the Electoral Commission had actually taken a decision that they were going to have total re-registration of the voters and have implement a voter's ID card. And Anthony Astafan, senior counsel, wrote a letter, which I have, to the prime minister and said to him, listen, madness is happening up there. He said, I spoke to Kondwani, which is Kondwani Williams, a young lawyer who is on the Electoral Commission. He said, I spoke to him this morning. He told me that they are going to that they're going to issue voters' identification cards and they're going to have a complete re-registration. And Tony said, Anthony Astafan, he said to the prime minister in that letter, he said, call in these guys. Because if you allow this reform to take place at the Electoral Commission, he said, you will lose your legacy of winning. <laughs> That he had a legacy of winning. He had only won one election at the time, right? No, well, they won since 2000, and they knew what they're doing every election. That's what I'm saying. So, so in so, 2008, so there would have yeah. been a two terms. Because yeah. in 2004, Scary took over as prime minister. Right, right, right. And he was he has been running elections since then. And so Anthony Astafan is saying to him in this in this letter, listen, don't allow this um, re-registration and issuing of voters' identification card to take place at all. Because he said to him, if you allow this to happen, you will lose your legacy of winning. And I, I like to say to ordinary people, because this is basically saying something simple in good English, I like to say to ordinary people who don't understand good English, what Tony Astafan, this senior counsel lawyer, said to the prime minister in this communique is that we have been stealing elections for some time now. And if you, by using the bloated voters list yeah. and the fact that anyone can vote without an identification card, and he has been winning, and the lawyer is saying to him, if you ever have people come in there with a voter's ID, to show who they are, and if you are to have a fair number of qualified registrants to vote, then you cannot win elections. You cannot steal it like that. That's what he's basically saying. You know, because and the people of Dominica, when I read this information to them years ago, they didn't pay much attention to it, but I think now the people no, of Dominica, they're yeah. livid. Yeah. But they're angry. They're angry mm -hmm. because you're willfully stealing elections. And from another perspective, quickly... Um, um, this lawyer, Tony Astafan, who is instructing the prime minister to do that, he knows that the Electoral Commission 
is a constitutional body insulated from interference by anyone. It's written in the Constitution that this body is not responsible nor accountable basically to anyone. So for this lawyer to be instructing the prime minister to, as to what interfere, to do, to, to interfere, with, to the interfere mm-hmm. with this electoral body, which is supposed to be an, a constitutionally protected body, it tells you about the level of um, law-breaking that's taking place in the country. And these things are just becoming the norm. And since 2008, since this letter was written to the Prime Minister by Anthony Astafan, my brother, since then, the Electoral Commission has not made a single move to clean up the voters' list, which now has more people than the population. The last census which has been hidden from the people of Dominica because the government has not declared to the nation the numbers of the last census taken in Dominica years ago. However, we found out that it is approximately 71,000 people. And the voters' register shows 70,000 and something people. And you know, my brother, it is a complicated situation. You seem like you you don't know what to say. No, no, because because I I used to have I used to have a saying, Angelo, that I used to say. The only there are things that happen in Dominica, and the only other place you see it happen is in the movies. Mm-hmm. But but those things don't even happen in the movies anymore, you know. Well, well, they don't happen in the movies anymore, and just like you you're thinking, you're thinking. Similarly to the Prime Minister, something happened a few years ago and the Prime Minister's response was, on the record, by the way, he said, in in any real country, this thing would have been dealt with differently. But of course, this is Dominica. Can you imagine? (laughs) And I'll tell you what happened quickly. At Melville Hall Airport, you know that um, when the Haitians come in, the government of Dominica has been burdening our Haitian brothers and sisters for de- for um, 10, 12, 15 years now by charging them 400 US per person when they land in Dominica. Dominica right. and, yeah. and would you believe that somebody in authority at the Melville Hall Airport was able to, uh, to, was able to accrue something like 60,000 US dollars in, in his or her draw? And what happened? One weekend, somebody basically just came and took it. Mm-hmm. No police action. Nobody was investigated. <laughs> really? Nobody was taken to court. <laughs> nobody was tried. And when the prime ministers, the minister of finance, that's responsible for that kind of money, you know, coming into the treasury and stuff, when he was questioned about how can a, a, an employee of the state keep something like sixty or eighty thousand U.S. dollars in his or her drawer on the job at Melville Hall when the sub treasury is in Marigot, five minutes drive away? Why would that happen? The prime minister he just said, "Well, you know, in any real country, 
this thing would have been handled differently. But you know, this is Dominica, and that's where it ended, my and brother. Ended we must remember. Wow. We must remember also that the prime minister said on the public record that racketeering was taking place in the de- in the Department of Labor and Immigration. And based on the information he had as prime minister, he came to the public and said that racketeering was was happening in the Ministry of Labor and Immigration. But hear that. He said, I instructed the, the whoever the person in charge there. He said, I instructed them to fix it. And that's the end of it. That's the end of it, my brother. You never heard anything else about that because this guy is judge, jury, executioner. He's the king. So he's the king. king. They reported to him about things that were happening which were illegal or wrong, whatever. And then he he just decided, you know, and nobody thinks he comes publicly and he says, you know, I know racketeering is taking place there. But anyway, I instructed somebody there to fix it. Fix it. He, do, 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 so the police has no authority. No financial intelligence unit has no power. Everything surrounds one guy. One of these days, Angelo, we're going to take a whole program to discuss how <laughs> how we created how we created Roosevelt Scarlet. What were the circumstances? Mm. But that, but we delve into it a little bit the last time you were here. Um, but that's something that we know it, it's important to to do that because we once once we get out from from that train that's that's running away if we manage to stop it and reverse it we have to study how it happened so that we don't repeat it with anybody else that's right you know? well, we should never allow these things to happen in our country again, my brother. And I say so from my conscience that when the next government takes over, that the people of Dominica, we have really a high expectation that this new government is going to, first of all, ensure that we are grounded in the principles of democracy in Dominica, equal rights, for everyone, that the judicial system will appear to be fair and just, and that we will no longer have a king sitting in the throne on his throne on Kennedy Avenue in the financial center, and once a week, the peasants of the country will come to him by the hundreds and beg for a dollar or ten dollars or two dollars. I mean, really, this is what is happening now where there's this red clinic taking place once a week where hundreds of people go to the ministry to go see the prime minister and supposedly, allegedly, uh, he gives them money and then they will come back next week and the following week and every Wednesday, uh, you know, that's what happens. And he does it it with the money of the state. But with the money of the state, my brother, because that's why I said that the, the guy runs the country as though it's his private business. So he basically uses the money like that, the money of the state. And that's why this guy has lost his his way to the point where he's telling the people of Dominica, listen, I am the government. I gave you a house. But remember, you must vote for me. 
This has never happened in our country. And when the government, new government takes office, we are hoping that they will put uh, appropriate legislation in place so that these things will not haunt our country anymore and that they will upgrade our constitution and make it compatible with other with other democratic countries around the region and around the world and we will move away from this blacklisting mentality of this government and go back to a clean slate where all the people of dominica at home and abroad can be proud of our country and who we are as Dominicans and what we stand for, what we believe in, what we have fought for and won over the years, and what we have lost under this government after two decades of crushing the people of Dominica. My brother, <laughs> we could go on, we could go on and on, but what I'm going to do instead is to invite you back soon. We need to make this more regular. Um, <laughs> but my listeners are, are excited. Um, I, a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback on Facebook, a lot of feedback on WhatsApp. Um, you mm. know, you, you lively up the place when, when you come. <laughs> and and not, uh, not only that, you, you inform us, you educate us. And, and we appreciate it very much. And so, and so Dominica needs you, you know, and, and, and we need your voice. It's, 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 it's a shame to have that resource and to keep it silent. So, so <laughs> I, I thank you. I thank you very much yeah. for coming on. And um, as I Anthony, said... Anthony, let, let, me just, uh, let me just briefly in, in, interrupt you here, my brother. Allow me to just tell a quick... Let me just give no, you certainly, one more. Certainly, I was going to give you a last one anyway. Yeah, for, for, for our listeners. One more for, for our listeners to understand the type of country we are, we have been reduced to right now and the type of governance we have. Years ago... Mr. Skerritt, Prime Minister, brought a sports car to Dominica. I think it's uh, maybe a, an Audi or Mercedes-Benz, one of these big names. Lots of little gadgets in this car, bulletproof glass and everything else. And I noticed over a period of time, over a two-year period almost, that the Prime Minister would drive the car sometimes on weekend. He has this fancy little car bulletproof, riding around. And on other occasions, I noticed that the police would be driving it with a flag. And then, of course, I spoke to my intelligence people over in China and wherever, and they and the, spoke to them about this car because, you know, we wanted to know where the heck this prime minister got this car from. And, and Anthony, I can say so on the record, and we don't have to wor even worry about a lawsuit. My brother, the prime minister, when I, when I took the information to my program and spoke about it, the opposition, the parliamentary opposition became very interested in the information. And so it formed a question in the parliament. The opposition asked the prime minister, the parliamentary opposition asked the prime minister in the parliament, whose car is this car and gave the description, whose car is this? Is it yours or does it belong to the state? And you know, the prime minister stuttered briefly. And then he said, the car does not belong to him. It belongs to the state. So the opposition asked a follow-up question in the parliament and asked Prime Minister Skerritt, well, who gave this gift 
to the office of prime minister because he said it's not his car it's a gift to the office of the prime minister so the opposition asked in the parliament as a follow-up question who made this generous gift to the office of prime minister anthony you know up to now the prime minister refused to answer the question in the parliament and he was not made up to, to this, answer up to this day and the, con- up to this day. the constitution requires him to answer questions posed up to this yeah. day he never answered yeah. but i can tell you on the record that ng lap sang who is now in custody in the united states on trial in new york ng lap sang gave him that car ng lap sang from macau gave him the car as a gift and they got all the details on it and that's why I was able to question him but he was timid he said it don't belong to me it belongs to the office of prime minister however on the record in the parliament he has refused to say who gave the gift to the office of prime minister well, well, i will when, end there for tonight brother when when <laughs> no before you, uh, what i'm going to say is that when the government yeah. changes we will auction off the car and raise money to build a home for some Dominican person who is still living on the tarpaulin. Because well, of the description course. of the car, we don't, we don't need it. You know? <laughs> uh, bullet, bulletproof, you know. But, the, it, but um, because, because, you know, he got this car because he went to a meeting one day in Beijing while he was there, and Dominica's, uh, Dominica's ambassador over there, David Chu, and uh, another gentleman who was there, they each was driving this same sports car, high-end sports car. And as a little child, he walked around, he looked inside, and he says, I really like this car, we. That's a nice car, boy. And they so gave then Dominica's one. ambassador, David Shu, asked him, well, would you like to have one? If you, if you want one, chief, I can get you one, you know? No, well, actually, David Shu calls him my brother. Mm-hmm. So David Shu said, t- David Shu told him, if you want one like this, my brother, I could get you one. He fell for that. And then David Shu basically threw his contact in Macau, NG Lapseng, did what they had to do, and then they got him the car. And NG Lapseng also came to Dominican and um, promised that he was going to take over the Liar River project and whatever else. But we'll talk about it another time. <laughs> Thank God, r- right now NG Lapseng is in custody in the United States. Can you imagine what he had to say to the FBI about your prime minister? Well, well, let's hope when he's no longer prime minister, um, he will join um, NG Lapsang. Um, <laughs> in, in New York. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very good place to leave it. That's a very good place to leave it, my brother. Thank you so much for coming on. You're such a wealth of information and you deliver it so well. Nobody else can do it the way you do. And, um, and I'm privileged. I'm privileged to share this um this mic with you angelo so thank you so much have a great weekend and i look forward to the next time well anthony we th- i thank you very much my brother i was looking forward to to it and um we had fun we'll <laughs> talk again i continue to get very relevant very critically important information from people out there who have basically made it their business to really track track these guys when they go out track them know where they went to, what they're doing, and whatever else. Just as I can say, because, for example, we've never heard of our people here officially going to Langkawi. I had to use, I had to use Google Earth. 
to find this place on the map, Lang Langkawi. Langkawi eh? like a, yeah. That sounds like a place somewhere in, um, I don't know, Way Borneo or, or the back of South Fiji. <laughs> next to Fiji. Yeah, well, next to Fiji Island someplace. Oh, there, right? But here, the doc Dr. Daru from Pittsburgh constituency, Mr. Alec Lawrence and Mr. Nanton were in Langkawi. And I have an article where they spoke to the press over there telling them all kinds of fictitious stories about Dominic. They represent the government and they would like they're going to establish biz tourism business and whatever else with Dominica. And um, by the following day, really nothing happened. I mean, this is a couple of years ago. They came back, they said nothing. But then two days after they were in Langkawi, I reported on the radio that I had an address of a building where basically they had set up what they called an L an LLC, a limited liability company. Uh -huh. Basically, to basically they said they they went to Langkawi to set up an office to sell passports. But I I said I said to my contact, Doctor Daru. I said they just give Doctor Daru a trip. Doctor Daru, excuse the guy. He he don't even know what Mister Nanton and Alec Lawrence over there doing. They just use him as a decoy. But then uh, they could not deny anything because as soon as they came to Dominica, I basically had, well, before they got back to Dominica, I had the address of their, their suite, which they leased over there, the telephone number and everything else. But I'll stop there for tonight, this time. <laughs> I, I like, I like Langkawi. <laughs> if, if we take Langkawi in, in our Dominican word, it, we, can, we can translate it into the laughing tongue. You know, <laughs> long kawi. Long kawi. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, my brother. So uh, good night, good night, my brother. All the best, Anthony, Thank you very much, and good night to you, listeners. We will talk again sometime in the near future. Looking Always forward. a pleasure. Bye bye. Looking forward to it. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. The, the listeners, you know, every time Angelo is here, we have a good time, but not just not just a waste of time. We actually get a lot a lot of information. And, and it's put in such a nice package um, that, that it goes down well, so to speak. And, and so I want to thank the brother for, for making the time to come. And we will do this again. Uh, I have been invited to, to join um, the Concerned Citizens Movement on Q95, um, on Patriot Voices on Q on Sunday evening. So if you if you have the time, um, please tune in and listen in. It's the first time I'm going to be on the other side of of the microphone on on Sunday. So I look forward to that. Good evening, my brother Loftus and the and the members of the Concerned Citizens Movement of Dominica. Um, listeners, we've done it again. We went over, but you know when it's a good time, we don't want it to end. But really, the information that Angela was giving was so so compact and so full and so rich that if you observe i did not i did not interrupt much um because it was flowing and and i let it run and we went over so i want to thank the indulgence of of, of my producer and an engineer sam um we this this podcast is going to be available as early as tomorrow if you want to if you want to listen again um to to the to the program Thank you to all of you who contributed on, on Facebook and on WhatsApp. And um, have a great weekend and I will, we will do this again next week. Good night.